Uh, we're going to be looking at John the Baptist, and we've got some scripture there in the uh, PowerPoint there. So let's have, have a look at this fellow, John the Baptist. I uh, didn't mean that there's only one real church in the world, the Baptists, but uh, we'll see what, what's going on there. So there was a man. He was sent from God. His name was John. And he came as a witness to testify. That's him, the heart of him, isn't it? The witness to testify. Concerning what? Let light. So that through him all might believe. Not through John, but through the light. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light. It gives light to everyone that was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And the word, that's Jesus, became flesh, made us dwelling amongst us, and we have seen his glory. That's Apostle John writing, because we haven't here. But Apostle John says, we've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father was full of grace and truth. And John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one, this is the one of whom I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of it, out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. That's what Jesus said. He made God known. John the Baptist denied being the Messiah. So, verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? Who are you, mate? He didn't fail to confess, but he confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, Well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, Nope, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, Nope. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him and they said, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Well, John says, I baptize with water. But amongst you stands one that you do not know, and he is the one who comes after me. The straps of his sandals are not worthy to untie. And this all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. 
And the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man coming after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water is so that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony, told the story. He said, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself didn't know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, he said, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples and when he saw Jesus passing by he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is here who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And John's clothes were straight out of a catalogue, a very small catalogue of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist and his food was not maggots. His food was locusts and wild honey. And that wild honey is not nicely supplied in a jar. You have to go foraging amongst the bees. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the very righteous people, the good people, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them these lovely words, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't think you can say to yourself, we have Abraham, our father. I tell you, out of the stones God can raise up people, up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water repentance the phrase water for repentance but after me comes one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire his winnowing fork sharp and pointy is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire Let's uh, pray. Lord, we've had an overview of John the Baptist here in this moment, what he was on about, who he was, what his message was. 
How did you teach us from your word what we need to know? Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. John the Baptist. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Two Sundays ago, we looked at the word, we looked at the Logos, there was Jesus Christ in John chapter 1, and we encountered the profound reality that Jesus was the creator of the universe, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is still his own person, Jesus is life, and Jesus is undiminishable light. And uh, we saw a testimony of someone who discovered that at uh, the, the event, the outreach event in training last night. That's part of the disguised experience was the undiminishable light of God. And by the way, um, just pause to say I was very encouraged by the people who came out uh, and uh, supported outreach. It was good to be out in the country under the stars telling people about Jesus. Praise the Lord. So, John, we've heard about the gospel, we've heard about uh, the word and then we hear sort of like the sound of a trumpet. Well, not literally, but John's job is to be a herald and a herald often blew the trumpet over the course of history. Uh, the herald is a trumpet blower. His job is to announce that something important is going to happen, to announce that the king is coming and so everyone can get prepared to receive the royal visitor. And he would often run ahead of all the other guys, get into the town, say, the king's coming, blows the trumpet. They didn't usually choose to get that job. And neither did John. Because John says, uh, it says there in John 1, 5, there was a man sent from God. God chose him for this. Now, we all know that Jesus' birth was miraculous. Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. A virgin gave birth to our Lord and Saviour. But let's remind ourselves that the messenger for Jesus, the herald who would announce the truth about Jesus, also had a miraculous birth. His mother, very old and unable to conceive. Well, what happened? Luke 1.1 1, 1. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense and when Zechariah saw him he was understandably startled. <laughs> he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready people prepared for the Lord. How miraculous is that? Well, let's read on. The angel said, I'm Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home and after this his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favour and has taken away my disgrace among the people. So when you think about it, you've got all the history of mankind and God has to bring a herald and a saviour to life around about the same time so that the herald can be saying he's coming. And so how close was it? Well, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So six months into the pregnancy, the start of Jesus. And yes, they were relatives. And the angel points this out in his message to Mary, and he encourages Mary to say there's a miracle because John is, is coming along. It's a miracle of John's conception. And that's to encourage Mary and her faith. And he says that in verse 35 there, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's yours. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Okay, so Jesus is coming. But also, take note, even Elizabeth, your relative, She's going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Take note, Mary. This is a miracle. For no word from God will ever fail. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? No word from God will ever fail. And then, now if you're going to confirm your herald... How early in the piece are you going to do it? Luke chapter 1 verse 39. At that time Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she basically she's gone to see her relative. She entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she, in a loud voice, exclaimed, oh, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfil his promises. See how those two guys, the herald and the Lord, are connected at this really early stage, connected while they're still in the womb. And here is a recipe for greatness. There's a miraculous conception. There's a mother filled with the Holy Spirit. There's the prediction of how great John will be in the sight of the Lord. And then there's, he gets brought up as a Nazarite, a pure lifestyle, and with a calling to bring many Israelites 
Israelites back to the Lord their God. And of course, put all that together, makes sense. But the greatest person ever in history, who is Jesus, should have a messenger described like this. Truly, I tell you, in Matthew 11, 11, amongst those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Wow. And yet, how the Lord makes it a level playing field through faith in him. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What a blessing that we receive. Not because we deserved it, because of faith in Jesus. And then we notice that John's preparation, his training time, occurred where? In a place often used by prophets, where they grow, where they focus on getting ready for their mission, in Makanbudin. Oh no, in the desert, in the wilderness. Place of few distractions. Because you see, when a prophet lives apart from a culture as he prepares for his ministry, it gives him passion and it gives him clarity to see what the people who are immersed in their own culture don't see. And in Luke 180 we see that the child grew, he became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until ministry time, until he appeared publicly to Israel. And so the great man, John the Baptist. And then we move on to the message of John the Baptist, which in his own words was in John chapter 1, verse 23, I am what? I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Do what? Make straight the way for the Lord. And his message is also described in Luke 3, 3. He went into all the country around Jordan preaching what? A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Repent so your sins will be forgiven and get baptised. What's difficult about that? Human nature. Let's consider a key aspect of human nature, how we evaluate our own life versus how we evaluate other people's lives. I saw a very illuminating YouTube clip the other day. A young evangelist was witnessing to a happy pagan couple. Asked them, do you know any of the Ten Commandments? And they sort of stumbled through a few of them. This led on after a while to him asking, well, have you ever lied? Well, oh yeah, now and then. Have you ever stolen anything? Oh, just occasionally. Have you ever had any lustful thoughts? Well, yeah, I suppose so. And they were quite happy to admit what for them were just the odd slip up here and there, you know. But then he pointed out that if you had lied, then that made you a liar. And if you had stolen, it makes you a, a thief. And if you actually used the Lord's name in vain, then you were a blasphemer. And so on. And gradually it started to dawn for this pagan couple that there might be a problem here. 
And I realise that this is where most of the happy pagans of Australia sit. We judge ourselves by our intentions. Oh, we didn't really intend to swear. We didn't really mean to lust. We didn't mean to accidentally slip something in our pocket or forget to plant the till. And we didn't, certainly didn't feel mean or malevolent when those things went on. We weren't, didn't feel bad. Now, sense of whether we are a good person, it wasn't really affected very much. We might have just thought, ah, probably shouldn't do that too often. However, if someone else lies to you, if someone steals something from you, then you judge their actions quick smart. You don't look into their hearts and say, oh, they, oh, they were just had a little slip up. They're mostly intending to do the right thing. Because most Aussies feel that deep down we're okay. And most Jews felt that also in those days. They, well, even worse, they actually thought they were very superior in how good they were. For a start, oh, come on. We are God's chosen people. And we've had centuries of, defining, of refining all the religious things that we ought to do so we can be pretty well guaranteed that we are the pure guys, we are the holy guys. And so what does John say to those people? Like the happy Australian? The feeling good about yourself Jew? Luke chapter 3 verse 7 he says, to the crowds coming out to get baptised, he says, you brood of vipers, snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. And then produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, I don't know if you can see how much this simple message, repent, how, how scandalous that was to the Jews. Because you see, and I didn't realise this, either until I found out that at to this point in history the only people who got baptised were proselytes, that's converts from the other nations. Yeah, they thought, oh, this Judaism is pretty good. Let's, become a, let's get converted. And if you've had any encounter with racism then you'll know that the Jews actually were very racist because they considered anyone other than them to be seriously seriously unclean and any converts that came in had to be washed clean of their filth in order to become Jews and the, symbolically that was what baptism was about cleansing the cleansing those filthy people from their countries round about and they took this very seriously this cleansing they did cleansing ritual cleansing before they ate bread after they ate bread before they ate dipped fruit or vegetables, before worship, before the priestly blessing, after sleeping, after touching a part of the body which is dirty or customarily covered up, after going to the bathroom, after cutting their hair, after cutting their nails, you get the point. Being clean was a very high value for them. And so when John very dramatically points out that you're missing the point and calls them a brood of vipers or snakes, it's highly scandalous to the Jews. And I think it's highly scandalous for Aussies 
to consider that they might be a sinner. And so we need to look very carefully at what this great man John is saying here in Luke chapter 1 verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So he's calling for really this repentance is about a very radical change. It's a genuine turning to Jesus as your hope, as your new direction, as your source of leadership, as the one you will follow in your thoughts and in your will and in your actions. And Jesus, John, John, sorry, John says, guys, it's not about being a member of a privileged group, a, a family, a church, a club, a society. It's not a matter about, oh, gee, I've got to get out a jail-free card in my back pocket or I've got a, oh, here's, here's my lawyer, he'll bust me out. No. The Jews, they tried that. They tried to bust out their being members of God's chosen people card. And many of us try to bust out our being brought up in a Christian family or I've got a really good network of Christian friends card or I'm a regular church attender card. But John says, look, mate, anyone can whip up and laminate another membership card. God could even whip up one out of the rocks along the roadside. It's not about your membership. It's about your heart. So John the Baptist then adds some more urgency to getting your radical repentance sorted out. And he says, there's no time to delay. Look, the axe is already at the root of the trees. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down or be thrown into the fire. And what's more, his winnowing fork that's in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And John's saying, the guy with the axe... The guy with the winnowing fork, they've got the tool in their hands. They're getting ready to swing it. Don't delay. Get your radical repentance right now. And with many other words, Luke 3.18, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them today. So friends, John's message is still for today because pride is an epidemic. A fellow named James Bowenstead wrote, At one time, most Christians believed that if you're going to have a close relationship with God, a person should magnify God, should deny himself and the pleasures of this world, he should repent and confess his sins and live a holy and a separated life. And the heroes? Missionaries. who gave up everything to serve God. And martyrs who suffered because of their faith. Today, it's uh, many places a different story. It's today we have the comfort gospel. All the aspects of the gospel message which bring comfort to our inner emotional world have been looked for, they've been found, they've been magnified, and we even have an imaginative reinterpretation of the Bible from the perspective of being as encouraging and positive and affirming as possible. And some of the teachers that go along this way are saying that to have a close relationship with God, you need to realise how important God considers you and how much effort he's gone into providing salvation for you, just how valuable you are. And successful Christians, they pursue their dreams, they pursue their aspirations, and they become successful and affluent. And their heroes are the celebrities and the self-made individuals 
we just happen to be Christians. And there's many teachers going down this way, producing and talking about being prosperous, being successful. Now, God does bless his people. And he does consider them so valuable that he would give his only, sin, only son to die for their sin. But that's not a reason to feel proud. Rather, it's a reason to humble ourselves and recognise how great is the gift, the unearned gift that God gives us. And it's a reason to magnify how great God is. Find a way that he would find a way for sinful us to have an eternal future. It's not about how valuable we are, it's about how gracious and big hearted God is. So evaluate what you hear from some of these regions and say, do they ever ask for repentance? Like John did? Did they ever say you've got to turn around from making yourself the centre of your universe? Because that's what the greatest man, born of a woman, called people to do, to repent in order to be ready for the saviour of the world here's a cute little spelling lesson notice that I is in the middle of some very big things in life S-I-N I is in the middle of sin I is in the middle of pride I is in the middle of anxiety and the worst one, I is in the middle of Lucifer and that's it I is in the middle of all sins, pride and anxieties. So beware of the epidemic of pride. And notice, John described what was the fruit of keeping re with repentance. This is very interesting. What's about Luke 3.11, John says, anyone who has two shirts should share one with the person who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Well, then some nasty guys, the tax collectors, came to be baptised. And the teacher, they said, what, what about us? What, what should we do? Well, they said, don't collect any more than you're required to. And the soldiers came up and they said, what should we do? And he said, don't extort money. And extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Makes you wonder what soldiers were up to, doesn't it? <laughs> be content with your pay. They're not really feel-good things. They're practical things. Real repentance is practical. It's about sharing with the poor. It's about not squeezing extra tax out of others. It's about not extorting money. It's about not accusing people of stuff in order to get more money or to get an advantage in life. And it could be about exposing scandals. What did John do in 319? What Jan John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he'd done, well, Herod added this to that problem. He locked him up in prison. So note that exposing some scandals could be injurious to your health. And John did eventually lose his, literally lost his head over this. So what else can we say about John the Baptist which can inspire us, be an example for us to follow? Well, he didn't let anything get in his way. He kept his heart set on Christ. And the truth for us is that God gives us the power to 
keep our hearts set on Christ even in desert days. Go down to John the Baptist was a strong and humble leader. He didn't live for himself, he lived for his message. Matthew 3.11, I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Because he lived solely to point others to Christ. And he was obedient to God's purpose. You know, many people, as we read earlier, asked, who are you really? And they wondered if he was the Messiah or Elijah or even false prophet. And there was a very direct prophecy that people thought might have been referring to him in Malachi. See, I'll send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful, dreadful day of the Lord comes. But he said, no, that's not it. It's not a popularity contest for me. It's not how good a preacher I am. He must become greater. I must become less in John 3.30. The truth is, our mission in this life is also to point others to Christ, isn't it? John the Baptist was brave. He was willing to speak the truth, even if it meant his own death. We're reminded of that in Matthew 14.4. It's not lawful for uh, you to have her, is what it said about Herodias. And John's life tragically ended when uh, prompted by her mother she said give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist but even in a heartless cruel plot John's death wasn't in vain because for to live for Christ to speak the truth to point others is never in vain Kind of wrap it up there now. <clears throat> John the Baptist's call to a radical repentance. A repentance which practically produces fruit. That's a message to us. Not just John. Same message for us to be witnesses about Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Lord. He was a brave man. He was a man who had a calling on his life. And we all have a calling to point others to you. Sometimes we do it well. Sometimes we do it badly. But it's not about us. It's all about you. You found a way. And you called us to radically turn around and not just add you as a membership card, not just add you as a something we add on to the rest of everything else we do but to orient our whole life around you and reorganise it with you at the centre praise you and we thank you for John's example that points us to Jesus let us be someone who points others Jesus too. Let us be someone who lets the message shine through us. Amen.